Well, good morning. So good to be here with all of you today. As Bill said, my name is Brandon. I'm the associate pastor here. If you're new, so good to, to have you with us. We're in this series that I started last week called Prayer, and it's all about prayer. So you like, see how I did that? <laughs> I like to keep things simple. <laughs> I need it. But um, we're, we're in this series called Prayer. We're talking all about prayer. And last week I started and, and we talked about the parable that Jesus gave of the persistent widow, how she went before the judge day after day and said, give me justice. And she wouldn't give up. And eventually the widow won because she persevered in her requests. And how Jesus taught us that we in the same way should always pray and not lose heart. We should continue to persist in our prayers, even when it's difficult, even if we don't get the answer right away, we should continue to pray. So we talked about the importance of prayer last Last week, we talked about how Jesus was valued prayer so much in the same way we should as well. And so if you missed that, you can always check it out online. Uh, but there's your really quick summary of where we've been. And so today, where I want to go is I just want to ask this question. How should we then pray? So we talked about the importance of prayer. Prayer is a big deal. But then how do you do it? Right? How should we as Christians pray? And just think about this. What do you think about when you hear the word prayer? What pops up in your mind? What images, what, what things pop up into your head when you just hear the word prayer? Because I think there's a lot of different ways that people pray. Uh, you look at different cultures, there's a lot of different ways that people pray in different cultures. There's a lot of different religions out there and the way that people pray in different religions. Uh, maybe based on your background, maybe you grew up in a, in a more traditional style church, or maybe you grew up in like a Catholic church, and so that influences the way that you think about prayer. Uh, and so when you picture prayer, what is it you think about? Maybe your family had some sort of traditional prayer that you'd say uh, before every single meal, and so that's what pops up in your head, or something you'd say before you went to bed, or a certain way that you would pray in the church you grew up in. Or maybe prayer wasn't uh, part of your life at all growing up and uh, it's kind of new to you. Maybe it's something you're, you're new to trying yourself. And maybe you're, when you think about prayer, you just picture what you see in the movies or on the pictures with somebody just kneeling with their hands like this or whatever. I don't know. But there's a lot of different ways to think about prayer. And there's a lot of different ways that people do pray. So how as Christians then should we do it? What's the right way to pray? How do we pray? What's, what's the best way for us to pray? Now, as I answer this question, uh, the good news is you don't have to get my opinion on it because that doesn't really matter, okay? What matters is we've got what God has to say about prayer in the Bible, and that's what we're going to be diving into, okay? That's the only opinion that really matters. What does God say about prayer? And thankfully, in the Bible, in the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, goes into this master class on prayer. He teaches us how to pray and how not to pray, and it's literally the master teaching us how to do it. So we've got this, and that's where we're going to be diving into. So if you got a Bible, it's in Matthew chapter six. That's where we're going to be going. We'll put it up on the screens as well. Jesus's class, Jesus's uh, amazing teaching on how to pray. And like a fantastic teacher, like a really good teacher, he begins with two examples of how not to do it. All right. He says, here's how not to do it. And then I'm going to teach you how to do it. And so the first way that Jesus teaches us not to do it is right there in Matthew chapter six, verse five and six. Look what he says. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Now notice when, the way Jesus starts this, he doesn't uh, say prayer is important. You should pray. He doesn't say, he doesn't command us to pray. He just assumes you're going to pray. And he says, so when you pray, right? And as Christians, uh, this is important to us, right? Uh, prayer isn't something that we're just commanded to do. It's something we do because we need it. It's, it should be like breathing to us, right? Hopefully I don't have to tell any of you to breathe. Maybe Dave T over here, because he's needed some oxygen this morning. He's saying, <laughs> but, um, you know, hopefully I don't have to remind you to breathe. It's just something we do because it gives us life. It's something we do that because we need it to live. And as a Christian prayer should be kind of the same way. It's something we do because we need it. It's something we do because it's life-giving. It's something we do because it's just a part of who we are and how we live our lives. So when we pray, then how do we do it? That's where Jesus keeps going. And so if you're reading this, the first thing that I think that Jesus tells us not to do is this. He says, how not to pray. Number one, prayer is not a performance. It's, he's saying it's not a show. And, and let's be honest, how many of you have ever been put on the spot where you're like in church or you're in a Bible study or you're at somebody's house and they're like, hey, could you pray for us? And you're like, oh no, right? Panic. <laughs> what if I say the wrong words, Right? What if I don't say the right things? What if I do it wrong, right? What are people going to think about me? And that's the problem, isn't it? Because Jesus is telling us prayer isn't a performance. It's not a show. It's not something we do just based on what other people think about us. It's not something we do just so other people will have a higher opinion of us. Uh, Jesus is calling out here the hypocrites. He's calling out the religious people, the Pharisees, the people who would go out on the street corners and they would pray so everyone would just see how holy and how pious and how righteous and how wonderful they are. Uh, and it was a show for other people. And so what does he say? He says, well, they got their reward. What's that? They got the attention they wanted from other people, but they're missing out on the true and greater reward of God hearing their prayers because they're only praying for others. They're not praying to God. And so if we're not careful, our prayers can become a show. It can be something where we just perform for other people. And this is something that terrifies me a little bit sometimes as a pastor, right? I get up here on stage and I've got to pray for different things and different occasions. And I'm always like in the back of my mind, oh, I got to do this right. What if I say the wrong words? What if people don't like my prayer? And that's dangerous because if I'm not careful, if we're not careful, all we care about is what other people think and not what God thinks. So, so the first thing Jesus is saying, prayer, it's not a show. I mean, I had, I had a friend once who we'd go to like a Bible study together and every time it was his turn to pray, it's like his entire personality just like changed and flipped a switch. Have you ever met somebody like that? Maybe uh, he, we, we'd pray and he'd be like a normal guy, just kind of talking and hanging out during the Bible study, talking kind of like I do. And then all of a sudden it'd come time to prayer and he'd go, oh, holy father, we beseech thee. You know, and he'd say big words, right? <laughs> and things that he would never come out of his mouth, but in prayer time, it's like he totally, he, he shifted. And I wonder, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of him or anything, but I, I kind of did to him a little bit when, I, when I'd see him pray like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I wonder if it was just like, well, that's the way he saw prayer modeled or he thought he had to change who he was or he had to change the way he spoke when he prayed or that if he used big theological words, then people would think his prayers were greater. And if we're not careful, we can turn our prayers into a show, into a performance for other people. And that's not the point. What does Jesus tell us to do? Instead, he says, we need to go, to, uh, we need to go into our, our rooms, close the door, and God will hear us from our prayers in secret because he, he hears us there. So it's not about performance in front of other people. God cares about what's going on in your heart. It's not about what other people think. It's about what God thinks. He just wants you to pray from your heart to him. So it's not a show. And then the second thing Jesus gets into in Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8, he says this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So here, Jesus is calling out the second group. He's calling out the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are the non-Jewish people. He's calling out these people who came from a pagan religious background. And he's saying, look, when you're praying, don't be like those people who, who pray like, like pagan prayers where they constantly just say phrases and repeat things over and over and over and over again, hoping that their gods will hear them, right? Or they repeat these empty phrases, these, these, these phrases they just keep saying that don't really have anything behind them. They're, they're empty. They're devoid of their actual heart. They're just saying these words like some sort of magical incantation. If you say it right, then you can manipulate the gods, Jesus is saying, don't pray that way. When you're praying, it's not about words. So the second thing he's saying here is in, so the first thing he says, prayer is not a performance. And the second thing, what he's getting at is prayer is not measured in length. Whether you're saying 10 words or 10,000 words, God hears you. And he already knows what you need before you've asked. So the length of our prayers or the number of words that we say, or even just the big words we say sometimes to be impressive or whatever, that's not what it's about, right? It's not about length. It's not about saying these empty phrases over and over and over again. And if we're not careful, we get this way uh, as Christians, we can, we, can, we can fall into this trap as well, can't we? Maybe you grew up, you learned like a traditional prayer that you'd say before a meal and you say it. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you had a traditional prayer you, you grew up saying in church or whatever it is. And if we're not careful, we just say these things and our brain just kind of goes into like automatic mode and we just say the words and we do the thing and we say the prayer and then we get on to the next thing. And we don't think about the actual words that we're saying. We don't think about what's actually coming out of our mouth. And it's just empty phrases. It's, it's, it's not honoring to God because it's not coming from our heart. We're not really meaning it, right? Like uh, I grew up, the way I grew up, uh, my grandparents were Catholic. Um, my, my grandmother and my grandfather, they, they were Catholic. And so whenever we went over to grandma and grandpa's house, my mom would always have to coach us a little bit. Okay, grandma and grandpa, before every single meal, they would say the same prayer. And we had to say the prayer as well. So my mom would always teach us and coach us how to say it. So that when we went to grandma and grandpa's house, we'd be able to pray with them before every meal. And I remember uh, it was the same prayer every time. My grandma would make us sit down. And before we could have anything, we had to say the prayer. It was always the same thing. It was you do the little Father, Son, Holy Spirit, bless us the Lord and these I gifts as we are about to receive for the bounty of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And then you do the, you do the cross and then I could have mac and cheese, right? <laughs> and so I remember like I had to do the thing and then I could have the mac and cheese. It's like, I, I got to do it because then I, get the, I, then I get the food. But if I didn't do it, grandma wouldn't let me eat, right? <laughs> so, and I wonder like, like the prayer, if you think about the words of it, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with the words of the prayer at all. The problem is, I just wonder if you say that over and over and over and over and over again, every single time, if you're not careful, you just get into that automatic mode and you're just saying empty phrases, heaping them up, right? Like Jesus is talking about. And there's no heart behind it. There's no, you're no, there's no thought. There's no, there's no weight to the meaning of the words that you're actually saying. And we can get into this. Jesus is about to go into the Lord's prayer here. He's going to teach us the Lord's prayer, which is a beautiful, masterful model of prayer for us. But if we're not careful as Christians, and we say it in our church sometimes, we say the Lord's prayer. If we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap here. We can repeat the Lord's prayer and, we, and it's a beautiful, wonderful prayer. But if we're not careful, we just repeat the Lord's prayer. We go through the motions and it's not coming from the heart and it's not coming from our faith in the Lord. And that is where we get in danger. Prayer isn't measured by the length of the prayer and it's not measured by uh, 
the words, just, just empty phrases that you throw up to God. It's about the heart. That's what God's getting at. He wants it to come from within you. And so uh, does that mean we shouldn't say things like the Lord's Prayer? No, <laughs> it doesn't mean that. But it doesn't mean that's the only thing we should ever pray, right? We should say other things as well. But it means that when we do pray in that way, it should have some weight, it should have some meaning. We should think about, reflect on the words we're actually saying and mean it from our hearts before it passes through our lips. And so Jesus gets into the Lord's Prayer here. And, and I was reading a, a book on the Lord's Prayer this week uh, by John MacArthur. And he summarized it this way. He said this about the Lord's Prayer. I thought this was a beautiful summary of it. He said, in fewer than 70 words, we find a masterpiece of the infinite mind of God who alone could compress every conceivable element of true prayer into such a brief and simple form, a form that even a young child can understand, but the most mature believer cannot fully comprehend. I thought that was a, a great way of summarizing, right? The Lord's Prayer. You know, if you grew up in church saying it, you probably know it, right? It's so simple that a kid can memorize it, a kid can learn it, yet it is so deep. If you actually think about it, like you could write, like he wrote an entire book on it. I've seen many books written on just on the Lord's Prayer. I wish I could preach a whole sermon series on this because there's just so much depth in each, word, each sentence and each phrase in there. There's so much we can get out of it. And so we're going to go over it right now and dive into it a little bit and just kind of get a, a really quick flyover view of it. But it is so masterful. It's so brilliant what Jesus teaches us here. So I hope that we just allow the, this not to be something that we've heard before and okay, automatic mode, check out, I know this one. I hope we can actually let the, the actual teaching of what Jesus is teaching us today rest on us as we study this. And so here's the model prayer that Jesus gives to us. Matthew chapter six, verse nine to 13. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the Lord's prayer right there. Now, some of you are going, something's missing. Some of you are like, hey, hang on, that's not the way I learned it. There's something at the end that we always say. And what is that? We always add in the end, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Amen. Now, you're like, why is that not there, Brandon? Well, uh, the newer translations of the Bible actually don't have this phrase in it. And you might go, well, why is that? That's, that's wrong. How, do they, how dare they remove that? Uh, and what you have to understand, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you right now. Um, what you got to understand is actually in, in the, the oldest, most reliable manuscripts that we have in the original language of where the Bible was originally written do not include this phrase. It's only in some of the newer manuscripts that we, we have, some of the newer, trans, uh, newer manuscripts that that phrase was included. And so scholars talked about this and debated about this and, and came to agreement that Jesus probably didn't say that last phrase there. And that for some of us, that's like shocking to us, okay? Um, but if you notice, even in, in a newer translation, like the English Standard Version that we're reading out, there's always a little footnote in there if you, if you look really closely and they'll tell you some manuscripts add this. Uh, phrase to it. So they'll note it, but it's not necessarily in the text of the newer translations. Uh, look at this. If, if you, like, here's a little comparison. If you look at like the English Standard Version on the left there, it does not include it. The New International Version does not include it. The New American Standard Bible, which is a little bit older, uh, they put it in brackets with a big note saying this isn't in the oldest manuscripts. And then if you, but if you look at like the King James, one of the older, tr older uh, translations we have, they include it there in the text. So if you say, well, why is it that we say that phrase? Well, in the older 
like a King James translation of the Bible where a lot of people were raised on that phrase was in there. And so it became part of our language. And most people would agree that this phrase was added later into the Bible because it became part of Christian tradition and like a, a doxology that we added at the end of the prayer as we said it and repeated it out loud. So here's a question, okay? Is it okay to say that then? If Jesus may not have said it, is it okay to still say that? Yes, okay? There's nothing wrong with saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's a beautiful phrase, it's good theology, okay? And there's nothing wrong with saying that. And when you do pray that, you're in line with Christian tradition. So I just wanted to get a little nerdy and point out that it's not in, Jesus may not have actually said that. But there you go. Uh, another side here, you notice there at the end of that, that uh, phrase they add in there, they, we say the word amen. Do you know what the word amen means? We say it all the time at the end of prayers, right? Everybody says amen, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a controversy actually about like seven months ago where a, a guy stood before Congress. Maybe you saw this. It, it blew up on the internet. A man stood before Congress and he said a prayer. And there's so many things wrong with the prayer. If, I could, if you watch the video, it's really bad. But at the very end, what, was, what was everybody got kind of upset about is the very end, the way the man ended his prayer. He, he closed and he said, amen and a woman. <laughs> and I heard that. I saw people sharing it on the internet and ranting about it. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, this guy has no idea what that word means, right? It's like we end the prayer. Like, yes, everybody in church, Christians for thousands of years have said, at the end of our prayers, we've all said, men, <laughs> right? Huh. Patriarchy, right? Like, that, like, that's how we close our prayers. No, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> Amen. It has nothing to do with gender. It has nothing to do with boys and girls. Okay. It's a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word that means truly or let it be so. It's a way that we just agree with, we affirm what was just said and we're saying, God, yes, truly, may it be so. May this be answered. May this be come to pass, right? It's our way of just agreeing with the prayer. So there you go. It has nothing to do with men and women. <laughs> In case any of you are confused like that guy was. Um, <laughs> We're just agreeing, all right? So when we pray, this is how Jesus teaches us how to pray, okay? Um, I think if you, if, you, if you break it down in just a simplistic way of looking at it, the Lord's Prayer can be broken up into two parts. Um, the first two verses, I think, would be one part, and the second three would be the second part. And so just looking at this, looking at these two, this breakup, what's that first section about? Who's it about? Who's the subject of that? God, right? So the first section, I think, is about God. Now, here's, here's the next one, a little, little harder. Who's the second section about? Sort of. Sort of about us. It's actually, God is still the subject, all right? God, give us. God, forgive us. God, lead us, right? So you're still praying to God. He's the subject, but us, we are the recipient, the hopeful recipients of God's actions, right? So to make it really simple, yes, trick question, but yeah, we'll say it's about us. <laughs> We're praying to God, but we're praying to God, move on our behalf. God, may your actions be towards us in this way, right? So the Lord's Prayer is all about God, but if you want to make it really simple, break it down. The first part, it's about God. The second part is about God towards us, right? And so that first part, what does Jesus teach us to say? How does he teach us to pray in that first section? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is just saying, may your name be holy. May it be holy. Your name's holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So one of the most fascinating things of this whole prayer is right at the very beginning, Jesus says, and he teaches us to pray, our father. Now this was groundbreaking back then. 
when Jesus started praying, Father, this was unheard of at that time, right? Think about who we're talking to here. This is the Lord of all creation, the Lord of heaven and earth. He is holy. He is set apart. He is totally different and other than us in so many ways. He is the, the, the Lord of all. And then Jesus says, go up to him and you can talk to him and call him Father. That was mind-blowing back then to, to the people when they heard this because all through the Old Testament, you look all throughout the, the Bible, all these amazing, wonderful prayers, none of them refer to God as Father until Jesus comes out of the scene. And then every single prayer that Jesus says, except for one when he's on the cross, except for one prayer, every single prayer that Jesus prays, he refers to God as Father and he teaches us to say the same thing. Now think about the power of that. Here we're talking to, we go before the throne to approach God, the King and the Lord of all creation. And Jesus says that we can call him Father. Why? The Bible teaches us when we are saved, when we uh, are forgiven, when, we are, uh, we, when God saves us, we're adopted as children of God. We're adopted into the family of God. And so we can address him as Father. And this is incredible to think about. We, can, we go before the Lord and King, but he's also Dad. He's, he's, he's the, the, he has the power to do anything, but he also loves us and cares about us like a good, perfect, loving father. That's incredible that we can go to God and pray in that way. And so when we can approach him in that way. He, he not only has the power to act and to do and to rule, but he also loves us and cares about us like a, a father does. And then Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord God, you are holy we declare how holy he is. His name is holy. And then we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, he's saying, look, it starts, our prayers start with God. It starts with who he is, how holy he is. And we say, your kingdom be done, which at the, at the flip side means not my kingdom come, right? Your will be done, which also means my, my will be done, your will be done, right? Maybe your, we want to build your kingdom. It's all about your will. It's all about your glory, God, not about me. How many times when we go to pray, What's most of our prayers about? Me, <laughs> right? We say, a lot of the words we use when we pray, I know me for especially, I, me, 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 my, 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 God, I, 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 I. Look at that. None of those words are in the Lord's prayer. It's all about our and it's all about you, God. <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about my. It's not about me. God's saying it's not about my kingdom. Or, it's not about my kingdom. It's about God's kingdom, right? It's all about his kingdom and his glory and his will being done. And so if we were to summarize this first section, just to maybe simplify it a little bit, the way I like to think about it is this whole first section is just about this. It's about worship. It's all about worship. We begin, we go to God, we approach the throne and we worship our heavenly father and, uh, for how holy and wonderful he is. It's all about him. And then Jesus gets into this next part. And in this next part, he, he teaches us three different ways uh, to pray as we, as we pray to God. The first one, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, he teaches us there that we can pray for provision. We can pray for provision. Now, when he says, give us this day our daily bread, he's not saying you can only pray for bread, okay? And you can't pray for apples. Sorry, carbs only, guys. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's not saying that, right? What, what is bread? Symbol? It's a symbolic thing. Bread is symbolic of the basic necessities that we need to live, right? And we kind of get this in our culture a little bit. Like, what do we call the person in the household who brings, who, who earns the most income? We call them the what? 
the breadwinner, right? They're the person who brings home the bread. They're the person who brings home the money necessary for what we need to, to live. Uh, so, so we kind of get that in our culture, but not quite as much, where bread is it's symbolic of just the daily necessities of what we need. And so Jesus is teaching us that it's okay when we pray to ask God for provision, to say, God, please help give me food today. God, please help with my health, things I need to live, right? Please help me uh, with my shelter, with whatever. We can pray for our needs and God hears us and he asks us to pray that way. But also notice what Jesus says. He says, give us our daily bread. He doesn't say, give me storehouses filled with grains and breads and donuts and you know, like abundance and just more than I possibly need. He said, give us our daily bread. So he's not teaching us to pray for riches. He's teaching us to rely on God every single day for our daily needs. And there is a peace and a contentment there when you trust in God for your daily provision, isn't there? To trust that God every day is going to give you exactly what it is you need and to pray that way. So that's how Jesus is teaching us to pray. Not for abundance or riches or excess, but just, God, I'm trusting you. Please provide for me today. Here's what I need today. Please help me with this today. And trusting that God's going to hear that prayer and he's going to answer and he's going to provide like he promises that he will. So we can pray for provision. It's good. It's right. And that's what Jesus teaches us to do. The next thing that Jesus teaches us in verse 12, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Here he's teaching us that we can pray for forgiveness. This is huge. We need to pray for forgiveness. Because we, in order to pray, forgive us our debts, what do we have to do? We've got to admit we have a debt. We've got to admit that we have broken God's moral laws and we owe a debt to him. That we are sinners. That we have sinned. We have made mistakes. We have broken God's law, right? And we kind of get this when it comes to society, right? You break the law of the land. You break a law and what do you do? You owe a debt to society. You've got to pay the time in jail or you've got to pay the fine, right? Uh, and then your debt to society is paid and, and, and you've done your time. Uh, that's kind of the way this is. You break God's moral law and you owe him. You owe a moral a debt to God. You have sinned. You have broken his law. And so the punishment, the penalty for this is death, according to the Bible. The, penish, the punishment for this is separation from God and eternity in hell, which is a horrible thought, right? And it shouldn't be something that we just like gloss over so lightly. We owe this debt to God because we have broken his commands time and time again, even though we knew better for the most part. And so what do we do? We pray to God for forgiveness and because praise God, he sent Jesus to pay that debt for us on the cross. Amen? I mean, think about that. According to the Bible, we owed this debt that is so big that we can never, it can never be paid. We're not talking about like a big debt, like a house debt, where you're like, okay, there's a hope that one day I will pay this thing off. We're talking like, if you were to imagine it today, like billions, maybe trillions of dollars of debt, something so massive, so immense that you owe that you on your own could never pay it. But Jesus comes in, he says, if you follow me, if you have faith in me, if you repent of your sins, I've paid that debt for you on the cross. It's incredible. Uh, some of you may notice I have this tattoo on my arm and people ask me about it all the time. Uh, if, if you see it, it's, and people ask me because it's in a language that not a lot of people speak. It's Greek and it says tetelestai. Uh, and the reason I got this tattoo years and years and years ago is because I was studying this about Jesus, about uh, it's the last word that he said on the cross. So if you look at the Bible in John chapter 19, verse 30, this is what it says. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. 
And those three words, it is finished, is one word in the original Greek. It's tetelestai. It's one word. And so Jesus, as right before he, get, he died on the cross and then was buried and resurrected, the last word he said was, it's finished, tetelestai. And this word, this phrase has so much significance and meaning right here, right? He wasn't just saying, it's over, I'm dead, and I'm done. He's saying, my work is finished. What is Jesus' work? To pay for our sins, to pay the penalty for us so that we could be forgiven and free. And this word has even more significance, I think, to the people who originally heard this, because I learned this back in Roman times, um, when you bought something, a big purchase, or you owed somebody money, they would have a contract that they would have written up of your bill of sale of what you owed, right? I owe this person this much money for this thing or whatever. And so they'd have that contract written. And once you paid that debt back in full, then they would stamp something on that bill of sale. And the word that they would stamp on the bill of sale was tetelestai. It is finished. It'd also be uh, similar in our language today. It'd be like saying paid in full, right? Boom, that debt's paid. And that's what I think Jesus was getting at on the cross right before he died. The last words that Jesus said on the cross is to tell us that it's finished. The debt has been paid. Everybody who believes in me will have eternal life, right? Like everybody who believes in Christ, the chains of sin are broken debt. You know, your debt to sin is gone. It's paid. You're forgiven. You're free. It's incredible. And so when I learned that, I got the, the word tattooed on my arm and I'm not trying to condone tattoos or whatever. Uh, that you can have your own opinions on that. But uh, people ask me about it all the time and I'm like, okay, you just asked a pastor about this tattoo and now you're about to hear about Jesus. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of a trick. Um, and I'm like, you can't get mad at me because you asked. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about Jesus now. Um, <laughs> anyways. But we got to understand, like, we need to pray for God to forgive us because our debt has been paid. And all we have to do is ask God for forgiveness and he freely gives it to us if we just have faith in him. It's incredible. And that's what Jesus tacks on at the end there too, as we've forgiven our debtors. How hypocritical is it for us as Christians to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Lord, forgive me. I'm a horrible sinner. And then look at that other person and go, I am never forgiving them for what they did to me. We can't be doing that, guys. That makes no sense. That is absolutely hypocritical. I mean, just imagine this. Imagine if God only forgave you as much as you forgive others. Uh-oh, right? That's a little harder to swallow. Thank God he doesn't. But we cannot say, God, I need your forgiveness and then not turn around and, and give the same grace and forgiveness to, to others who have, have sinned against us and who owe us. So we need to pray constantly. We need to confess our sins before God. We need to pray for forgiveness and God freely gives it to us. It's incredible. And we also need to forgive those in our lives who owe us anything. And then in the very end, verse 13, Jesus teaches us to pray for protection. Look what he says. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You guys, spiritual warfare is no joke. The Bible talks about it quite a bit. When, when somebody is... When God rescues us from the grips of Satan and he saves us, the devil doesn't go down without swinging. He doesn't go down without a fight. When he's rescued us from, from the enemy's grasp and we've been forgiven, we've been free and we're following after him, Satan's going to come after us. He's going to tempt us. He's going to bring things up in our life to try to take us down. And we have got to be, as believers, we have got to be on our knees every single day praying for God's protection, praying that he would keep us from temptation, praying that he would protect us and deliver us from the attacks of the enemy because it's coming. 
Being a Christian is an amazing thing. The forgiveness, the joy, the peace that comes with knowing God is fantastic, but nobody ever said it was going to be easy. And so we need to pray every single day for God's protection. It is good. It's right to do. Now we can get confused a little bit though when we look at this and we say, God, lead us not into temptation. Like God, and we can get confused because we might think, well, that means God leads us to temptation sometimes. And we have to ask him not to. Well, that's not true, okay? Look at James chapter one, verse 13 and 14. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So God does not tempt us. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. So God does not tempt us, but we have our own sinful desires within us that will lead us to temptation. And so we need to constantly pray, God, help me stay away from this temptation. Help lead me away from it. And when I'm going through difficult times, when God has allowed me to go through a rough season or when this temptation does inevitably come my way, God, protect me. Help me stay strong. Help me to continue to resist. And look, nobody's perfect. And we do sometimes give into temptations. We do sometimes fail. And when we do, we go back to what Jesus just taught us and we pray for forgiveness and repent and we confess, Right? But we got to be praying in this way because temptation's coming. I mean, just look at the church in the recent years and some of the prominent Christian leaders who have fallen to temptation. It's like, I feel like every, every so often you just flip on, you know, Christian news or whatever, and you just see it's another one of those persons who's, who's fallen. Another person has given into temptation and, and they've, they've lost all their credibility and fallen in ministry because uh, in a moment of weakness or a pattern of habitual sin that they did not deal with, they, they were found out and you realize, oh my goodness, this person that we put on a pedestal is human. They sinned and they've fallen. It's, it's sad to see, isn't it? The body count, it's like, it's, it's like it keeps stacking up all these Christian leaders who are continuing to give in to temptation. And here's the point of that. None of us are so strong that temptation isn't a problem. All of us are just one poor choice, one weak moment away from giving into temptation. All of us are susceptible to sins and our sinful desires within us. And so we've got to constantly be on guard, constantly be vigilant in our prayers to God, help us resist the temptation, keep us from evil. Lord, help us because none of us are so strong that we don't struggle with this in one way or another. So looking at this, God begins, he te- Jesus begins teaching us to pray, to worship God. Then he teaches us to pray for provision, forgiveness, protection. If I had to summarize this, maybe it's overly simplistic, but I would just say he teaches us to present our requests. This is all about requesting, right? So here's what, I'm, here's what I think Jesus is getting at, and here's where I want to just kind of land this today. When we pray, what Jesus is teaching us to do is to not be like the hypocrites who are just praying for a show, And to not be like the people who are heaping up empty phrases, thinking God will hear us because of our many words or because we said the right kind of words. But instead, when we go before God, we are to remember who we're praying to. We are to pray and we are to worship our Father in heaven who is holy, that it's all about his kingdom and his will, not ourself, right? We start with worship and then we humbly present our requests to him for provision, for forgiveness, for protection. And so, like I said earlier, this is a model prayer for us. So what's a model good for? It doesn't mean we just copy it. Sometimes it helps to to repeat it. And so we know it. So we memorize it. So we learn it, right? But a model is good so we can hold it up and we can compare it to other things. We look at this model prayer that Jesus gives us. and, And my hope is that today we would compare that to our prayers. Do our prayers, are they somewhat like this? Not the same words exactly, but do we see these same things in the way that we're praying? Or is there anything that's lacking? 
I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, especially when I was younger, uh, in my earlier years in faith, my prayers were all provision. God, provide for me, give me this, help me with this, do this. And sometimes protection, God, keep me safe, right? But there wasn't a whole lot of confession and, and repentance. There wasn't a whole lot of forgiveness praying for. And there was barely, if any, worship in my prayers. And when I learned that I should worship God in my prayers first, it kind of changed everything for me because it puts things in proper perspective, right? This is who I'm talking to. And everything then flows out of that. And so hold up the Lord's prayer. Look at your own prayer life. How does your prayer life compare? Is there something lacking? Are all your prayers provision? Are all your prayers protection? Um, is there, are you confessing your sins to the Lord? Are you asking God for forgiveness? Are you worshiping him? Are you praising him in your prayers? So the question I just kind of want to leave us all with today is this. How does your prayer life compare to Jesus's model? May we look at the, what Jesus teaches us here and be a church that says, look, we're going to pray this way that Jesus teaches us to pray. Not for show, just for other people's opinions, but because we only care about what God thinks. And not a bunch of empty phrases and traditional words that we just say because we think that's the right way to say it. But we're going to pray from our heart. We're going to pray in faith. And we're going to worship God and then present our request to him for, for provision, for protection, for, for forgiveness. Let's pray in that way. It's an incredible model, and I hope that we can take something from that today. Would you all just pray with me? Lord, Father, you are so holy, and you are so good to us. Thank you that you hear us when we pray. God, we just ask, Lord, that we would be a church that prays the way that you've taught us to pray, Lord. That it would be about your kingdom, not ours. That it would be about your glory. That it would be about your will being done, Lord, no matter what. Lord, we just present our request to you, Lord, that you would, you would protect us, Lord, that you'd provide for us, that you'd forgive us. Lord, if there's anybody here who's in need, Lord, that you would just help them meet their daily needs and find their contentment and provision in you. That we'd be a church where there's people here who are struggling to, to have the provisions they need to survive, that we would help them and that we would help be the answer to their prayer. God, if, if there's any of us who have sinned, Lord, we've all sinned. Lord, would you forgive us? And help us to continually confess and repent and, 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 and bring our sins to you and ask for forgiveness, Lord. And thank you that you do forgive, Lord, that you've paid that debt. And help us, Lord, also to forgive others the same way you forgive us. And God, would you protect us this week and, and every week, Lord? Would you be with this church? Would you be with each of these people as, as temptations come our way this week that we would resist, that you'd lead us away from those? God, I pray for the leaders in this church too, that you would help us to keep us from evil. Lord, that we could be strong and this church would not uh, have any way, shape, or form that we struggle, Lord, but that we would be a, a light and br a, a bright light shining for you, Lord. God, we love you. We just thank you, Lord, for everything you've done. Thank you that you hear us when we pray. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you all so much for coming today. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll see you all next week when Bill starts his new series. Take care. <laughs>